So since tomorrow night is um, Tubishvat, I wanted to go into one, some of the real main ideas of what Tubishvat really is. Okay, so like this tomorrow night when you sit down and eat your fruit, uh, you'll have some type of an idea. Oh, first, well, one idea I, I tell you, it's interesting, you know. If you think about it, a tree, well, well first of all, what is Tuba Shvat? That's the first thing. Well, it's the 15th day of Shvat. Okay, we know that. But what it is on a botanical level, botany, is that apparently this is when the fruit becomes, first comes to emerge from the tree. It's called the blossoming of the fruit, you see, which obviously symbolically is the beginning of life, you see. So therefore, it's in many ways some type of renewal, ischatrus, renewal of life, of good, of whatever. That's the concept, at least uh, botanically, of Tubishvat. And in Halacha, the concept of Tubishvat is that when you give Misa, when you give Truma, for instance, uh, and Misa, one-tenth and so on, so you can't just give it from everything. You can't collect your fruit for two years and then give it, and then let's say give one-tenth. No, you can only give it in what's called groups that are bounded by time periods. So anything that grows from Tubishvat from this year to the next year, all those things that will grow in this year, you can give Misa from that group. And Tubishvat also ends the previous year. Whatever was grown in terms of the fruit from last year, from the previous Tubishvat until now, right, you can only give Misa and Truma and so on on that. So it's the concept there are groupings that you can give Truma and Misa and so on, but only within the time period which is bounded by Tubishvat. That's the halacha of Tubishvat. And by the way, there's an argument between Beishamah and Beishilah. Beishamah held that Tubishvat began, not Tubishvat, but rather uh, this whole concept of a renewal begins on Rosh right? Not Tesvav, which is the 15th, but actually on Rosh and Beis Hillel held that it begins on the Tesvav, the 15th of Shvat. Anyway, it's an argument in the Mishnah when uh, Shvat, the renewal of the Peros, begins. But the question is, of course, uh, what exactly is Tuba Shvat? But when you think about it, just anatomically, which means structurally, if you think about it, a tree has five parts. One. You have the ground that the tree is rooted in, you see. So that's the foundation of the tree, right? The second thing is what's called the roots. These are the things, of course. Roots are basically, one, it anchors the tree in the soil, obviously, so it doesn't fall over. And the second thing is that it, it, it is the conduit that receives the nourishment from the soil, from the ground, and brings it into the tree. So clearly the roots are critical for the life of a tree. So that's number two. 
The third part of a tree is the trunk. So all of it goes from all the roots and is unified in the trunk, right? Now, from the trunk, it goes to part number four. And, of course, those are all the branches. And the branches, of course, as they say, branch out. You have the main branch, and then that subdivides into smaller branches and so on. And finally, it subdivides into twigs, right? That's number four. And then you have number five, right, which is the actual fruit. You actually can say, which is the, what emerges from the twig, right, which is really, in many ways, the leaves, the flowers, and the fruit. So those three things emanate from the tree itself, you see. So actually, you know, you can actually compare that, which is interesting, that there are five realities. There are five ilomas. So it's almost like, you know, when we say about the tree of life, that tree represents really all reality, you see. It represents the first, the ground, which is the foundation, and that is the first world reality, which is Oilam Habbo. In Kabbalah, it's called Odom Kadmoin, primordial man, right? Then you have the second, which is the roots, right? Which is really begins the tree proper, and that is uh, Atsilus, which is the world of the divine. Then you have Bria, the world of creation, right? Which is the trunk. You have Yitzira, which is the branches and the twigs. And then you have Asiya, which is our world, which, of course, is really the emanations of the branches. And like I said, you have leaves, you have flowers, and you have fruit. Those are the things that emanate, you see, in, in our world and so on, you know. And um, <clears throat> so a tree is a structure, you know, is a structure of... Uh, of this world, of the entire reality, you see. And there are other ways you can also uh, connect it, you know, and so on. But that's an interesting analogy of what a tree really is. So <clears throat> this world, of course, is represented by what emanates from the branches. And like I said, it's the leaves and it's the flowers <clears throat> and it's also the fruit. Great. Okay, so that's, that's the first idea. Now, the second idea, which I wanted to mention, and that's why you have the Eitz Hadas Toivara, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the Eitz Hachayim. You see, now what does that mean? Okay. Um, I once mentioned, and it's a very important structure actually, and that is that there are really four aspects of reality. There were supposed to be only three, but a fourth emerged. What is that? And um, the first one is called the reality of Ulam Habo. Forget about this world. It is the reality of Ulam Habo, and that reality is where there's fundamentally two essential existences, things, entities. One is the divine, which is God, and the second is the Nishama, the soul. Those are really the two basic entities of all reality in a way which we cannot even comprehend. Everything emerges from that. The divine, which is God, the Ein Soif, 
and then you have the Shekhinah, and then you have the Neshama. So that's the first reality, you see. So uh, in that sense, you have, well, you, if you want to look at the, the Rabbanu Shalom, that's one. The second reality is what's called the Neshama, which is the Zulosa. It's called that which exists besides God. That's number two. The third reality is called Ruchnius, spirituality. It is the world of the spirit. And that's fundamentally the world that is not the Neshama. It is the world of all the agents that in some way interact with everything else. So in that sense, that's number three, right? And then there is a composite, which is the world of man as a physical entity, because he consists of the physical body, right? And also the neshama. It's a combination. It's a mixture, which is interesting. And man is the only mixture, you see. Man has a physical body, and he also has an unbelievable neshama. So that is the fourth reality, you see. Now, there is a fifth reality, which was never supposed to become part of that fourth reality. And that is the world of the sultan, and his projected force, which is called the zoyamo. You see, <clears throat> now, initially speaking, there was man who was Odomarishan, and there's a physical reality. Although Odin wasn't really physical like us, it was a much greater refined physicality, almost all spiritual, almost. And he was supposed to keep it that way, you see. And as a result of that, if he would have done the mitzvah by not eating from the tree, uh, the Eitzadah's Tevara, uh, then his physicality would have become spiritual and slowly would have gone up the ladder, reversed. It would become the spirituality of Yitzira, uh, Bria, and then Hatzilus. And then his body would have become what's called pure soul. <clears throat> but instead of going up, taking the elevator up, he took the elevator down, which means that he became much more physical because he sinned. Not only did he become more physical, but he entered a world of Zoyamo, of Satan, with the Satan rules, you see. And the world of the Satan is the world of Zoyamo, which is some type of a force. It's called Tumor, that the Satan can project and latch on to you, and then all kinds of things happen. The most important thing that happens to you is that you get a true physical body that decomposes. That's the result of the Zoyama, because what the Zoyama does, it decomposes everything in its path, you see. Uh, so, we understand something that is very fundamental. So therefore, the reverse has to occur, which I once mentioned. The first thing is that you have to get rid of the Zoyamo, you see? So it takes six, or rather 5,700, let's say, hopefully in 81, where man actually destroys ultimately the Sutton, where he weakens the Sutton, and I'm going to talk about that, the stages of satanic existence, you see? And therefore, <clears throat> that's what his first job is. It's for the first Oilam Hazer 
which is to get rid of the uh, satanic influence. And therefore, then he enters a world of what? Of physicality, but without Zoyamo, you see. And that is, in many ways, the world of Odomarishim. And that's Tchis HaMesim. Tchis HaMesim is when there's no Satan at all involved in your goof, at all. And therefore, you can get up from the dead, and you are now physical, uh, but no longer with any Zoyamo, any influence from the Satan. And then slowly you reverse, which I had mentioned once, but it's very important. And then your physical body begins to reverse. The universe reverses. The physical body reverses. And ultimately you arrive at Oilem Habo, which is where you are now pure soul, with some distant remnant of a physical body, which is absolutely, it has a presence, but has absolutely no... Uh, uh, no dominion whatsoever, you see. Okay, so that's a very, very important idea. Good. Now, so that's the first idea, the concept that we are now in the world of the Zoyamo, and therefore we have to deal with the Sultan, you see. Now, we also know, you see, that in order to deal with the Sultan, right, you have to take back whatever energy is he has got because of the sins of the Jews. You see, and that we do, of course, in one of three ways. We either do mitzvahs, tshuva, repent, or yisurin, or we suffer. And what that does is it removes the, 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 it removes the kedusha that the satan has, you see, thereby incredibly weakening the satan. And the second thing it does is it brings down kedusha into the world. And that's, and therefore, when you bring down Kedusha, that's when your body begins to change, you see. <clears throat> and as I had mentioned, there are eight different agents for this. And I gave a shear last week, or was it the week before, the concept of the Bechor, uh, that there are eight nations that are in charge of, in some way, persecuting the Jews, afflicting the Jews, right? And as a result of that, the Jews' suffering removes a great deal of the, the Kedusha that the Satan took from the sins that the Jews did. And I had mentioned uh, that there are eight of them. <clears throat> Just a brief statement. There was Egypt. Then there was Babylon. There is Persia, Greece, Rome. And then there's the end of time. <clears throat> now, Rome, I mentioned, is really Asaph who became Edom, the Edomites, who became Rome, who became Christianity, who became um, the, uh, uh, the uh, Western civilization, and so on. So these nations, in some way, will allow the Jewish people to take back the Kedusha that the Sultan has by suffering as a result of their sins. Uh, see, the, these are the fundamental agents, you see, that we have to deal with, and they are what's given, they are give, given firstborn status by the Sultan to do it. Uh, and by us remaining righteous and doing mitzvahs and also suffering, we take back all the kedusha of the, that the Sultan has, and therefore is able to 
to control us with his zoyama. So that is the concept of the agents of the sultan, you see. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what is important to know is that this tumor, this zoyama that the sultan can project, you see, has different stages of its existence. In many ways, what is tumor that the Torah talks about? For instance, if you touch a dead body, right, you become Tomei. You see, tumor is a spiritual entity. But what is it really? And the answer is that the tumor exists on two levels. One you can get rid of and one you cannot. The one you can get rid of is the tumor, as I, we know, because you can go to the mikveh and you become toho. Tahara is an absence of tumor. That's all it is, right? There's a concept of tahara, tumor, which is a, oh, as I will say, is a spiritual entity that enters the body. Tahara simply means you, you, it, you are absent of that tumor, you see. <clears throat> then the other dichotomy is called choil and kedusha. Choil means you, do have, you have no kedusha. And Kedusha is an entity which is Kodo, which is uh, of divine origin, actually. It's a Ruach from above, and that's Kedusha. So Tahara is the absence of Tumor, and Choyl, which means weekday or secular, is the absence of Kedusha. But what is Tumor? So <clears throat> Tumor, now what I had mentioned is that the Zoyama entered Odom Harishan and Chava. And what that means is that Adam and Chava fell into an environment, it's actually the whole world, that, is, um, that the Satan occupies. And he is able to control that universe because of what's called his Zoyamah. Now, the Zoyamah entered Adam and Chava immediately, and you can't get rid of it. It's permanent so far. No, it's, it's fixed. Uh, there is no real way to get rid of the Zoyamah in a normal way, you see. So, Zoyama is what's called in, completely intertwined with the physical body, and it's even intertwined with all physical matter, <clears throat> you see. Therefore, the body decomposes and dies. All living things decompose and die. And what's interesting <clears throat> is that even inorganic substances also decompose in the sense that become disorganized and they turn into regular energy, and they also, you know, uh, deteriorate and so on. Uh, this is a zoyama at work. The problem is that the zoyama is in your body, and ultimately it will kill you, you see. And whatever the manifestation is, that a cell did not divide more than 50, not 50 times, and so on, and then the person, of course, does not in any way regenerate any new cells, and he dies. Uh, that is the product of the zoyama which the Ransham added to the DNA, which is interesting, and so on. That's why at the end of every chromosome, which is nothing more than the package that has DNA in it, for those who know what DNA is, for the staff of life, uh, at the end of it is called telomeres. And every time a cell divides, it loses a telomere. And if you lose all of them, the cell does not divide. And obviously, if, all the, if many... If all the cells in the body don't reproduce, 
or divide, then the person dies. Uh, so this Zoyamah, which is represented by the telomeres in a cell, cell, which is fascinating, can only divide 49 times, which is interesting. 49 levels of Tomo. Interesting. But in any case, and then after that, the cell does not divide and it dies. And if enough cells die, so does the person. But the main idea is that you cannot get rid of Zoyamah really at all. It's part of the fabric of the human body. You see, but the Zoyama somehow is intertwined on a spiritual level with the physical. But there is an aspect of Zoyama that you can get rid of, and that is Tuma. Tuma is really surface Zoyama. You know, it's like looking at water, and on top of the water, there's a surface. Let's say there's moss. On the st- or mold on the top of the surface of the water. That's, you can do it, get rid of it, by skimming the water. The tumor, tumor is nothing more than surface zoyama. <clears throat> but the interesting about, uh, thing about the zoyama, right, or the surface of zoyama, which is tumor, is you can get rid of it. One of the ma- main ways or basic ways is you go into a mikveh. <clears throat> now, what a mikveh is, is, is a collection of water, 40 saw, saw is a measurement, right? And when you go in, it's interesting that the tumor of the zoyama cannot go into that mikvah. So as you go down and down and down into the water, the tumor, which is the surface of the zoyama, cannot go into that mikvah. That's the divine decree. And therefore it rises up and up and up until when your head goes all the way into the water, then the tumor is removed. Uh, you see, that's interesting. That's how it, the mikvah works. It pushes the tumor, which is the surface of the zayma, up and up and up until when your head is completely submerged, the tumor leaves. Uh, so that's what tumor is. It is surface zayma. So the zayma is fixed, whereas the tumor is what's called removable, you see. Uh, but the tumor of the zayma has five stages. One. There is a stage when a person becomes Tomei, right? Let's say somebody touches a dead body. Uh, so he becomes Tomei, actually. Uh, let's say somebody touches uh, an Avela. So he becomes Tomei, or whatever, for seven days. And even if the person went into the mikveh, right, he still is still Tomei. Uh, that's stage one, where the person is Tomei, and it cannot be removed. You see, no matter what is applied. Stage two, you see, is where the tumor can be removed. But it has to have a device that will remove it, namely the mikveh. You see, but it can be removed. It's called removable. Stage three is when the person goes into a mikveh and actually removes the tumor. As I had mentioned, how? So that is stage three. Stage four, right? But the problem is that tumor can always re-enter a person. So in a certain sense, stage four, right, is where tumor is, is destroyed. So there is no such thing as tumor that exists in the entire world. Right? And then stage five is when Kedusha enters the individual. 
You see? So those are five stages that, that describe the life of Tumor. You see? One is where it's fixed. It can be removed. It's two. It is removed. It's three. But can we enter? It can never re-empty because it is terminated. You see? And when then there's Kedusha. So it's interesting that the Tumor, which is surface Zayama, which is the force of the Satan that connects to, right, the entire physical world, has different stages, you see. <clears throat> and, and that's what we see. Now, what is interesting is that these are the stages, as I said, of Tumor removal, of how Tumor relates to a person, you see. And it's not just a person, it also relates to objects. Because you can have an object that is Tomei. We know that because there's a whole part of Shas, right, that talks about this. Now, this is actually what occurred in Egypt. Uh, but in Egypt, what was interesting, we're not talking here about Toma. We're talking here about the actual Zoyamo. Now, remember I said that the Zoyamo is intrinsically tied to the Sodom. So it cannot be removed, really. But what's interesting in that in Egypt, Mitzrayim, ultimately they did remove the Zoyama, you see. But the primary way is through suffering, you see. It could be removed if Jews do mitzvahs, you know, on a steady basis. But if they don't, then it can also be removed through tshuva, and it can be removed through suffering, but it would involve the totality of all the Jews. So, the main idea why the Jews went to Egypt was what? Was to restore the state of man or Jew the way it was by other Mauritian. As I had mentioned, the last stage of Odom was when he sinned and the Zoyama entered him. He should have remained only physical. Instead, he allowed Zoyama to enter him and therefore created the entire concept of Tumor, which is surface Zoyama, you see. <clears throat> so the job of the Jewish people was to remove that Zoyama, not merely Tumor, but the actual body of Zoyama, <clears throat> you see. <clears throat> so that's what they did. So by the time they were ready to leave Egypt, it says in the Makas Chishech, darkness, right? And to the entire Jewish people, there was light in their dwelling, right? Uh, that was the beginning. That was the first stage, you see? We are, or I should say the second stage. Because the first stage, when the Jews were in Egypt for hundreds of years, you can't remove the Zayamah. You see, but by the time they had reached the Makkah of darkness, then the Zoyama became removable. Not that it was removed, but it did become removable, you see. <clears throat> and therefore, that, that itself is an unbelievable stage, because it never happened in the history of man that his Zoyama can now be removed and expelled from his body. You see, so when the Jews left Egypt, 
So what we're seeing is that the stages of Tumor is really the same as the stages of Zoyama, you see. And that's really what happens. So by the time the Jews left Egypt, right, they, they, they got to the Kriya Samsuf, they had removed, now there are 49 levels of Tumor, or 50, and they have 50 levels of Zoyama. So on the seventh day, they got to the uh, Kriyas Yamsov, and they actually had removed one-seventh of the Zoyama, because there are 50 or 49, 50 levels of Zoyama, seven days, seven spheres, right? And they actually had removed the Zoyama, one-seventh of the Zoyama, which is incredible. You see, and that is why I would once I had once mentioned an Omo Evriya, a Hebrew servant, was able to see more in Kabbalah, right, than was Yecheskel Hanovi. Why? Because a body that has a reduction in Zoyamo is much greater than the body of Yecheskel Hanovi. Uh, so she is able to see much more. This was just a regular. Omevriya maidservant, she's able to see much more divine force. You see, Giloi, revelation of the divine than Yecheskel ever saw. And he was the foundation of Kabbalah with the Maisim Merkava, you see. <clears throat> so therefore, what was happening in the 49 days when they left Egypt is they were removing 149th every day, not of Tumah, but of Zoyamo, which is incredible, because the Zoyamo of the Satan, right, is fixed. And yet they had reached the point that they could remove the Zoyamo of the Nochash. And that is why, by the way, it says in the Gemara, right? It says in the Gemara that when the Jews stood at Mahar Sinai, the mountain of Sinai, ready to receive the Torah, right? Uh, they had expelled the Zoyama from the body, you see, which is incredible. And therefore the Satan was no longer in the body of a Jew. And therefore they did not have a Yetzirah inside. But they still had the Yetzirah, which is the fourth level, you see. Uh, so the Zoyama was removable, as I mentioned, by Cheshach. Then it was removed during the 49 days, you see. And then it was expelled, you see. It was outside the body, just like Tumor is expelled and because of a mikveh and outside the body. Uh, so here's the sultan in stage 3, and his Zoyama, and it's expelled, you see. But the problem is the sultan still exists, so if you don't kill the guy, he can always re-enter. And that was the problem. It has Sutton somehow convinced the Jews that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead and they sinned at the golden calf. So therefore the Sutton was able to re-enter the body. And, but what the Jews did is they did expel the Sutton at some point in time. You see? Which never happened. The only time that ever happened before was by Adam Arishim, before the sin. When the Sutton was not in the body of Adam, and that's why Adam would it was with the Sutton could now, uh, the Sutton uh, had to convince Adam to an argument, but not in terms of a drive, you see. And that's the same thing that happened by Matan Torah. 
where the Jews stood at Harsinai, ha- having expelled uh, this entity called the Tzotan, or Tumor, from the body itself. Tragically, of course, it re-entered because of the sin of the golden calf, and so on, <clears throat> you see. Now, eventually, in the Messianic era, right, we will reach a point, same thing. We will have suffered enough, and we will also have made the Zoyama removable. And I'm not talking about Tumor. I'm talking about the Zoyama, which is far more fundamental to the human body, or actually to the entire uh, physical universe. <clears throat> there will come a point of time when the Zoyama will be removable, just like Egypt, you see. And at that point in time, right, it will be removed. And then the, Zo- the Satan, with his Zoyama, will be expelled from the physical universe. And that's when Tchias Amesim can take place. Because once the Satan is out of the physical, then you can have Tchias Amesim. The body can get up. And when it gets up, there's no Zoyama, you see, <clears throat> which is amazing. And then along comes Mashiach ben David and kills or transforms whatever he does to the Satan. So there's no such thing as Zoyama that exists. It's over with, you see. And therefore, you can keep your body forever. And then the task is to change the body, what's called Zikuch, which I had mentioned, you see. Uh, so these are very fundamental and basic understandings of what happens. Now, however, there are time periods in the world, in the year, that in a certain sense symbolizes these stages, you see. <clears throat> so, Teves represents several things. The month of Tevis. First of all, the month of Tevis is the real winter. And the winter we know, everything dies. Trees, trees shed their light, leaves. You know, everything is freezing. It's cold. It, 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 you know, winter represents, you know, almost like a suspension of life. You see. <clears throat> so that's like the Zoyama that is fixed. Then along comes Shvat. Now, but whatever it is, Shvat is a month where the Zoyama becomes removable, which is stage, stage two, you see. So Shvat is an incredible month. Why? Because in many ways, it is the termination of the domination of the Zoyama on the physical that's really what it is. And as such, because the Zoyama can be removed, it's removable, right? Even though it's not removed, but it's removable, uh, therefore life can begin in Shvat. Because once you diminish or weaken the Zoyama, right? Uh, once it's removable, then that's called a Hishachos. That's a renewal of life. Because the Zoyama is no longer connected the way it used to be, you see. Uh, so what Shvat represents, whether it be Rashchidah Shvat, or Tuba Shvat, which is Beis Shvat represents a turnaround, 
of some aspect of the Zoyama's hold on the physical universe. You see, <clears throat> and therefore life can begin to emerge. And that's what happens on Tubishvat is the fruit begins to emerge, blossoms, where the fruit now begins to emerge because of this concept, you see. So that's what Tubishvat really is. It is a renewal of life, but more important, it's a turnaround where the Zoyama does not have the hold that it does. And this time period of Shvat represents the fact that the Zerma can be removed. Now, the next month, of course, is Ador. And what Ador is, it's actually the removal itself of Zerma. And that is why Ador has Purim, right? And Purim, of course, saw the death of Homon, which is akin, right, symbolic of the removal of the Zerma. You know, they kill Homon, right? And that is, the, uh, that is uh, symbolic of destroying the Zayama, you see. <clears throat> and once that happens, right, then the Zayama is destroyed, and then uh, the, uh, the, um, <clears throat> it can be, it, it's really destroyed in the sense that it, it is expelled, you see. And then the next month, of course, is Nisan. And Nisan is the entry, in a certain sense, it is really the destruction of evil, you see. Until now, you have the expelling of evil, or the Zoyama. That's Ado. <clears throat> and now you have the termination of the Zoyama. And that's why Kriyas Yamsuf took place in Nisan. The Jews left Egypt, which is the Bechor of the Sodom, right? Which means that they removed themselves they distanced themselves from the Zoyama. You see? That's the expelling. And then also in Nisan, of course, you know, and you had the 49 days, right, where slowly they expelled, because Nisan continues into Eo, they expelled the Zoyama each day. was 149th of the Zoyama. And finally, the Zoyama was completely expelled. And, of course, once the Zoyama is expelled, right, we have the next time period, which is the entry of Kedusha, you see, and that's Sivan, which is Matan Torah, you see. <clears throat> so, when you think about it, these months are really symbolic of the whole process or the whole stages of the removal of the Zoyama. Like I said, one is where it's fixed, two, it's removable, Three, it is removed in that sense. Four, and, and part of that is that it's removed and expelled. And number four, right, it is destroyed, right? And number five, there's a re-entry of Kedusha, you see. <clears throat> and when you think about it, that really starts from Teves to Shvat to Ador to Nisan. Then you have Eeyore, which is the removal and then, of course, Sivan is the actual, the Torah itself. <clears throat> Unfortunately, you know, you have Sivan, then you have Tamas. And Tamas starts the whole business all over again, because on Yud Zayin Tamas, Shiva Asabah Tamas, right? What did you have? 
you had the Chet Egel. So therefore, Thomas represents, right, the re-entry of the Zoyama into the human form, you see. And then its intensification, which of course is of, and that of course symbolizes the destruction of the base of Mikdash. And then again, you begin again the removal, you see, and that's why Tesvav of is the beginning of the removal, not removal, but the removability of the Zayamah, Satan, you see? And then you have uh, the Elo, right? And you have the 10 days of Sukkot, uh, I should say the Asur, the and so on, uh, which is a symbolic idea <clears throat> of the removal itself of the Zoyamah, you see. And then you have the Sukkot and Hoshana Rabbah, which is the destruction. See, so in many ways, it's interesting that the, the months of the year are symbolic, exactly, of the stages of Tumah called the, the Tumah and the stages of the uh, removal of the Zoyamah, you see. So getting back to Tubishvat, so what Tubishvat it really is a hishachos. It's a tremendous beginning. It's a renewal. Why? Because it is a turnaround that begins to enormously weaken and diminish the actual um, zoyama itself. You see, and that's why we have you know fruit, because fruit is the symbol of the renewal, right? The renewal of life. And life, of course, is the opposite of death, which is what the symbol of the whole Zoyama, its essential characteristic, is that it creates death or decomposition, you see? Uh, so we eat fruit and we make the broch of it, right? And so on, whatever. And as a result of that, this is the concept of a renewal of Kedusha, or the, re- the removal of Tumah. So that's why... Tubashvat is a very tremendous day of Segula. Uh, it is, and that's why it's, it's in many ways celebrated, because it is the beginning, symbolically, that is, of the end of the Zoyama. You see, uh, and therefore there's no Tachnun on on Tubashvat, and uh, in many ways it's a day of joy. You know, there are many people that have a whole bunch of fruits you know, and so on, and they really, they commemorate this. But that's what we are commemorating Kabbalistically, you see, and that is the beginning of the eradication of the Zoyama itself and the restoration of man as he was supposed to be by other Mauritian as a physical being, Geshem, not with Zoyama. And then man would have reversed the Zoyama, or rather the physical body, further refinements, and so on, until, of course, he would become from physical to spiritual, and then he would become a spiritual being to what's called pure nishama, which is called zulosoi, or just an other. And that is the greatest state of man, to be a pure... Man is not even spiritual. One could say that man becomes divine, which is a certain type of substance, right? Which is divine substance, even though, of course, it's not God. So in that sense, 
people become like God in that way where the substance of man becomes such a kedusha, such a high level of holiness that one can say divine, you see? And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, that's how he was able to do it. When it says Moshe Rabbeinu was chatzish, was half man, and chatzilukim, half God. Now what does that refer to? Well, that refers to a type of body, you see, that is not even spiritual. It's half divine. That means there is such a concept or a phenomenon of man being divine. Of course, it's not the same thing as God, but it is of such a nature where man is not even spiritual. You see? In fact, it says in the first uh, Elohim Ato, it says in the third day, I think uh, the also read it, Yim Shlishi, the Shabbos, the Tehillim, where it says there that uh, the Bnei Elohim, that Elohim Ato, you are God. Actually, says that in the, in the Tehillim, you see? But what does that mean? That means man is capable and ultimately will reach a, a, a substance or a material which is literally or almost, I should say, of a divine nature. And we have no comprehension of what that means because not only are we really, are we the ultimate level of physicality, I mean, we are really gross physically, but we have Zoyamo which is even worse. You see? It's a complication. And that has to be removed. So all of us are looking forward to becoming no Zoyamo, which is Mashiach ben David, because Mashiach ben Yosef is the one who gets rid of this, who contends or fights with the Satan. Right? That's what it means, Amim Yanagab. He will go to the nations. Then Mashiach ben David reduces man, or the Jews especially, to where we have no Zoyama at all. And not only that, but he kills, he annihilates the sudden, right? Or he transforms him, whatever. But he annihilates the whole concept of Zoyama. And then we begin the process of becoming Ruchni, spiritual. And then we become the process of divine, which means the, we are greater than the Malachim. Until now, we are lower than the Malachim. Because they are spiritual in different levels. Because it depends on the world. It's zero or Bria and so on. Right? And we're lower than them because not only are we lower because we're physical, we are lower because we are also Zoyama, you see. But eventually, we ascend over the Malachim and we become divine. And they are only Ruchni, you see. So the Neshama becomes an incredibly uh, divine entity that is almost infinitely greater than the Malachim. You see? And we don't even realize. And that's what happens, you see? So, Tu Bishvat, symbolically, is the turnaround and the beginning of the end of the Zoyama. And therefore, it produces Hatshus, renewal of life. You see? And that's what Tu Bishvat is. And it is a tremendous day. Uh, really, we should be happy. Hopefully that will mean that this is symbolic of this year, Tavshim Pe'alaf, where the evil of Esau, which now dominates, the evil of the entire world, which now dominates, this year will be removed, and we will begin to now go up the ladder with Mashiach ben Yosef, 
destroying, contending with the evil, and then of course the end of Mashiach ben David, which will remove the physical, the Zoyamol, even though the physicality remains, and the physicality itself is removed only at the end of 6,000, which is the beginning of the spiritual uh, reality. Okay, any questions? What? That was great. Can you speak louder? That was great. Good. I'm glad. I was able to give a great cheer. Isn't that an interesting understanding of Tubishvat? Rabbi, isn't Tubishvat, how does that, isn't that also they say for Zivugim is always also Tubishvat is a good time for Zivugim? How does that correlate or does it correlate to anything that you spoke about? Well, okay. It does, very much. In fact, you probably know the answer, but you're not thinking about it. I will tell you. Because remember, a, a, a man is, a man and a woman together is the entity. Right? That is the complete entity. Well, when you think about it, right, if you want to renew yourself as an entity, isn't that marriage? Doesn't that mean getting married to a woman? Because that is the complete entity, like it says, you know, and man and woman, right? And God created man and woman, right? And and he called their name Adam. So without being married, you're not an Adam, you see? An Adam is the integration of a man and a woman together. Because the Adam represents six spheres, and the woman is Malchus, the seventh. You see? And therefore, the, uh, the man and uh, wife is really one entity. It says, Vayikushmam Adam. And he called their name Adam. It doesn't say he called him Adam. Vayikushmam, their name, Adam. You see? And that's Mamashal renewal, isn't it? That is a hischachas of the entity as it really is. It's a complete entity, a complete machine that will do the tikkun. You see? So it fits perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. Great. So, Rabbi, so it's, uh, it's probably a great time to pray for a shidduch. So can I you will. pray for her? What was that? I can't hear you. What? So pray for my sister. She's on the phone. Shira, Sarah, Bat Esther. Shira Sorabas Esther, she should find a great husband, right? Amen. Benekal, easy, and Bakar of Mamish, Amen. right away. Okay, so, so Rabbi, Amen. So, how, yes. so how do we know if we're in, like, uh, how do you know if we're actually in the process of um, the Geula, if everything on the outside world looks not, in a sense, because it doesn't look, it, it, like, in the Gulai, you like, hopefully we'll be in, like, we'll feel higher, and we'll feel happier, and excited, and, but when you look outside on the outside world, on the stage of the world, it's just getting worse, and worse, and worse, so how can you, 
you know, uplift us in that way. Bless you. Well, like I had mentioned, remember, you know, uh, I had mentioned uh, previous year, the model of the Geula has to look like Egypt. And since the Jews were being rescued or redeemed, is because of the Memtesh Toma. Therefore, right, Memtesh Toma means you have to save them or else forget it. So the Mashiach has to come. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu come, even though they're Memtesh Toma. But the problem is, we know, is that they have not done the Tikkun. In fact, 100, they were supposed to be there 400 years. They were only there 210. So 190 years worth of whatever it was supposed to be is missing, right? And that's called Kate's. Kuf Tzadik is 190. And 190 years were missing. So the Rabbanu had to speed up all that suffering because that was the major method. He had to do it in the couple of months that he did that, but unfortunately the way was with suffering. So therefore, the Egyptian model of redemption has an enormous intensification of evil. You see? And that's what it means that the window almost closes. It has to reach a minimal gap. Because if there's no gap, then there's no energy or spheres coming through and the entire universe is destroyed. You see, so it gets darker and darker, right? In fact, if you think about it, right, what was the ninth marker? It was darkness. You see? Choshech, exactly. You see? And it's true that the Jews had light, because it says, and to all the children of Israel there was light, that is true. <clears throat> but symbolically, it really means that there will be darkness. Tremendous darkness. That It's funny, the Egyptians could not get up. <clears throat> and it says that the darkness wasn't the absence of light, you see, because then you can move around. You know, you can light candles, do whatever you want. They could not get up because the darkness was an actual substance, you see. That was, a, that was an actual thing, not an absence of light. It was a real bria, and they couldn't get up. So imagine they had to sit there paralyzed for three nights. But that symbolizes the darkness of the end, you see? And then right after that, there was Marcus Bechorus, right? With the clipper of, of Egypt, the Bechor, was killed. Everyone was killed, you see? Uh, therefore, before the real redemption, when evil will be destroyed, there has to be darkness. You see? And we are now involved in that darkness. And dark, darkness, we don't know how long that will continue. Hopefully it will not continue long. And uh, that will satisfy the gula, the justice that has to be done. Right? And that's, why, and that's what it is. In, in a certain sense, the fact that there is darkness is a very good symbol of the redemption. You see? In other words, it's always, you know what they say, before the night, before the day, before dawn, it gets the darkness. Same concept. <clears throat> darkness always, the, the greatest darkness always precedes the light or the beginning 
with the emergence of light. <clears throat> so unfortunately, it's like a backhanded nechoma, consolation, but <clears throat> we are witnessing a re-emergence of the klipa, of the evil of Esau. <clears throat> but it's not only a re-emergence, it's a complete dominion. It's unbelievable. Well, they have the White House, right? They have the Senate, they have the House. It's incredible. So they can commit an enormous amount of evil and suffering. <clears throat> Besides them, you have the evil of China, you see? And the whole world is unbelievably corrupt, you see? The whole concept of gender is being destroyed. Where some guy can decide what he wants to be, a man or a woman, you know? I mean, ultimately, you're going to have guys, you know, and women taking showers together because a guy can say, well, why not? I'm a woman, uh, right? It's not going to end by the bathroom. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? Don't kid yourself. The corruption and the perversion will not end by a bathroom because it's going to have its logical conclusion, you see, where only the separation of the gender of sexes at all, you see, where a guy can go into a woman's dressing room. Yeah, it Pardon? said dressing room too. It said locker room. It said bathroom and locker rooms. Oh, there you see. I didn't even know that. And I, I and I guess that right. I guess right. Exactly. Can you imagine a guy goes into a woman's locker room? You know where everybody's getting dressed. It's insane. And the same thing. A woman can go into a man's locker room. What's the difference? Uh, they are removed. You should know that's the ultimate perversion. The ultimate perversion is two things. One, where there's no differentiation between the sexes or genders at all, like you just pointed out. Anybody can go anywhere he wants, and there's no separation. The second thing is marriage, where anybody can marry anybody he wants. Two men, two women, a man and an animal, well, no problem. That's what they did in the marble. Man used to marry his pet, his animal. You see? I'm not, you are looking at the beginning of an ultimate degradation in the worst possible forms. You see what I'm saying? That is the ultimate hashchosa of the Brio, the ultimate perversion and corruption. And God will not tolerate this because that's the end of mankind once that is reached. And therefore, instead of killing everybody, which is what he did by the Mabel, he's going to bring the Mashiach. That's his way of ending everything, you see. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that's really shocking. What you're telling me that it's also true of a locker room. Wow. You know, it's amazing. Uh, it's just incredible when you think about that. Look, you are watching the total, uh, what's the best word to say it's a complete descent of man, of mankind, into the greatest perversion possible. You see? But why would Hashem want to save us if, if he, he's getting upset from this? Hello? What, what did you say? Say again? Why would Hashem want to save us if there's so much abomination going on and the answer is because he swore 
Avram Yitzchok Yaakov that he would save the Jewish people. And in fact, you say it in Shmon Esrei, Goyal, he will bring a redeemer in the first bracha. Leman Shemoy Bi'avo, for his name's sake, in love. That's why. He will save it because he does not want this. And like God says, and I will do what I want to do. I will not allow the Bria to destroy itself. I will save it. That's his promise. He swore to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov that he would redeem and save his children. You see? And that's why he's going to do it. Look, that's why he did. Well, that was before Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. Yitzhak Yaakov. Yaakov. What was that? I, I was reading my MOS and it was saying that the Jews didn't deserve to be redeemed from Egypt. There were so many that were not good, but because of his pro- promise to the Avot, he, he redeemed them. So it's the same thing again. Exactly. It's the same thing again, exactly. That he does it because he wants to redeem the Jews. He swore to them, and we know, of course, the Rebunshim will always, uh, will, will, of course, keep his promise, you know. He compared it. He took a rose, the one that were good, along with the thorns, the ones that were bad. Yes. That's what it said in the book. That's right. Yeah. So, therefore, that's what's going to happen. <clears throat> you know, in a certain sense, I mean, it's a, it's a really it's a bizarre way of looking at it, if you, you want to look at it this way. You can actually hope that Biden destroys America, because the worse it gets, the closer we get to the redemption. Isn't that true? But so are we going to really, be in, in, in danger? Well, it's going to get, I mean, it's going to really get worse and so on, you know, if you think about it, you know. But the main idea is that it will get worse. The worse it gets, the closer the window comes to the minimal amount where it cannot close more. And then immediately when it reaches that point, then the gates open and floods that's the gates of Kedusha, and it floods the world, right? And everybody's going to be stunned. You know what it's like? Imagine you go into a house where all the windows are black, and you don't see any light at all, right? And all of a sudden, right, you walk out of the house, and the sun, there's no clouds, completely at noon and you're blinded by the light that's what's going to be it's going to hit you like a blinding light you see so you think, you think this you, is going to happen when is it going to happen say that again do you think it's going to happen this year well everybody says Tufshin Pei Aleph is the year and we've certainly seen that it's much worse. You see? That it's, it's terrible. By the way, this um, statement that you made, that anybody can be whatever they want, bathroom, shower, whatever, locker room, when was that given? Uh, I'll tell you. It, it, was, it was 18 and under was the statement. 18 and under... Um, they can go into any bathroom that they want. When was that? Is that a law now? Find it. 
Yeah, that, was that just passed? And also said something about them going to the military. Uh, they, if a person wants to be a man, he could go to the military even if it's a lady. He means transgender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You are watching the end of the distinction of the sexes, the gender, exactly. <clears throat> this is just the beginning. It's going to extend to anybody, to adults, which which is obviously incredible. It says but, uh, six, six days ago, executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. And then it says um, about the bathrooms and the, and the locker Oh, you mean so that was, an, that was an executive order signed by Biden? Yes. And it's uh, yeah, expanding LGBTQ. He's what? He's expanding the lesbian, gay, bi, trans, I don't know what Q is for. Q is queer. They're right. So every, it's all rights for everybody except regular people. In other words, he's completely legalizing and legitimatizing any deviation of, from the norm. Correct. Correct. No Sheva that, Mitzvah B'nai Noach. Yeah, which is, yeah, which, which means, and probably that's going to be upheld in the Supreme Court, and therefore, if you discriminate against any of these, right, then you've got big problems. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the problem, is that it's going to infringe on your rights. Beliefs. Yeah. So could you imagine some guy's a homosexual, right? And he wants to get a, re- a job as a Rebbe in a yeshiva. So the yeshiva's going to have to hire him. And that was part of the Supreme Court, that you cannot discriminate. Yeah, but what they, happened to freedom of religion? Well, that's going to be the major contest, Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's one thing you want to practice that kind of stuff, do it in your house. Why do I have to live with that? Especially, it could be that the Supreme Court is going to say that if it's an infringement on your right of religion, then you do not have, then that's not called discrimination. I would imagine, because this court is more sensitive to religion than the one before it, you know? So probably the religion will be protected from this but the fact that he said LGBTQ is now completely equal to anything else that is the ultimate destruction of mankind because America is the model for everybody and then everybody every country that is not has that has no religious framework is going to now do the same so you're going to have homosexuality lesbianism, all this stuff, totally rampant throughout the entire world. It's war of Sodom again. It's like Sodom. Exactly, you're right. It is. It's Sodom. We are reliving Sodom. And God utterly destroyed Sodom. Not only because they were evil. Do we get out of here? This is not a society. What was that? Do we get out of here before he destroys America? 
Well, you know, you got to keep your eyes open. That's what I say. You know. But won't Mashiach come before that? Won't he come and, and tell us and guide us? Yes, he will. Yeah, God is not going to destroy the world because of these people. No. He's going to change the world. Yes. And that, therefore, it's got to be that the Mashiach ben Yosef, and he's the one who obviously begins the whole process, he's got to be alive and, you know, about to appear in some way. There has to be some type of reversal. Because the world is headed. What? Doesn't it take Mashiach and Yosef some time to, to like, pick up, um, you know, a speed or, like, to pick up popularity so that his name gets out there? So he, doesn't he have to start? Yes, he has to start. That's why maybe it starts, maybe it starts Wednesday night. Oh, isn't Tu Bishvat a great day to start the Gula? Yes. Rabbi, yeah, there you if are. you hear about him, you're going to let us know, right? Yeah, of course. If I hear about him, I will let you know. Wait till Monday before if you find out. Yeah, don't what wait till what was Monday. that? Don't wait till what? Monday. Don't wait till Monday to tell us if you hear about him from before. Okay. I'll call Amy, and Amy, Amy will tell everybody. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but that's why we're looking at really the imminence of the gula. It's exactly what Biden is doing and everybody else that shows you that the gula is imminent or else it's over with. That's the end of morality in this world. It's over with. This world will become an incredibly immoral place. You see? And it's going to infringe on many things. Like, Corona was a big deal when Trump was around, but, like, now that Biden's doing all this crazy nonsense, it makes Corona take a back seat. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They are intensifying incredibly immorality. Yes, much worse than Corona. See, the problem is, is what happens if you have a business and you want to hire a worker? And the guy who applies for the job is, a, is an active homosexual. You see? Then what do you do? So you can't say, well, my Don't religion... Or, what? Don't hire him. But that may be discrimination. See, we don't know. You see what I'm saying? Listen, if that somebody we don't likes know. to be with gays, I don't have to sit near it. It makes me sick. Well, I see exactly. I don't. So I don't know what the legal position of that is, because it's not directly connected to religion. On me. What? They're, they're forcing they're, they're forcing their beliefs on people that don't believe in it on purpose. Well, I, I look. I hope that's what the position is legally. But I'm telling you, you don't know. See, if it's an obvious religious interference, that's one thing. You know, if it's a church, if it's a shul, a yeshiva, or whatever. But if it's a business or some factory or something like that, there may be discrimination. See, I don't know. I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous court case. You Rabbi, gays are so normal right now that it's not. It people are not discriminating against their uh, sexual orientation. Yes, it's, you're right. It's so normal, I, I, like it's the norm. 
It's not I heard I, somebody told me it's worse that for some reason, you know, if you're not gay, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. hip. It's very so that wouldn't be really an issue. Uh, transgender is more of a. It's more strange for people, uncomfortable. But for gays, it's like the it's normal. It's very normal. Yeah. So could you imagine? Uh, yeah. Could you imagine something that was despised and obnoxious and abhorrent has now become the norm, or even the preferred? Can you imagine that? That that you're somehow not with it if you're not gay. You believe this? I mean, yeah, you know, like it's, we, I, we, we become immune to it. Exactly, that's what's going to happen. <clears throat> and the problem is this: is the real problem that there are many people that are not gay, but they can go either way. So as long as being gay, homosexual, was looked down on, they wouldn't do it. You see even though they're what's called bisexual, you see? But if now that's an accepted norm, and even maybe a preferred norm, then somebody who would never be gay or practice being gay, homosexual, can now do that and feel perfectly okay with himself. That's the incredible uh, destruction of mankind. You see? It's people who are bi, you can go either way, or there are, there are many people who are, you know, they, 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 are, they feel it's okay, but they don't do it because there was always a stigma attached. However, if there's no stigma anymore, then of course you could do it. And therefore, there are so many people that would never be gay, but now they are. Why? Because now it is not only accepted, it is also preferred. Awesome. Uh, that is the be that is doim, <coughs> and that's the end. What's hey, the bunch of do? You think he's going to wait? <coughs> do you think that the bunch is going to wait four years? Because who's going to reverse this? Nobody. Once the government of America has issued a law, nobody's going to reverse this. It's over with. You cannot reverse this. You see? And then, then what? It, gets, it can only go downhill. It can only go downhill. Therefore, we are looking at the end. That is a logical conclusion. So, Rabbi, so if Tubishbab could be the beginning of the uh, removal of the Zohama... Yes. Yes. Would that be correlating to the Kagida, or would that be correlating to Hashem appearing to Moshe and Sineh? Like, what does that correlate to if it could begin the Geula? Well, the Pekida is when the Mashiach is aware that he is the Mashiach, correct? So that would correspond to the Pekida, yes. And that is the end. Once you have the Pekida, that is the end. And then is all there is is a growth, you know, upward from the Pekida. Correct, yeah. Once Moshe Rabbeinu had the Sneh, then it was, you know, uh, upward all the way. No, you but see. once he had the Sneh, didn't he disappear for six months? Well, he went, he went to Mitzrayim. He went to Egypt. No, I'm saying... Then he went back to the camp. No, 
but then he went back to Midian for six months. Uh, well, yeah, whatever it was, uh, well, that's the real question. What was he doing for six months? Well, in in Malamalize it said one 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 Mefarshim said it was three months, and another one said it was six months. But during that time was when they had to pick up the straw and and make the bricks, and that was when he went back to Midian. So but how long was he in Midian? Yeah, so they say some some Mefarshim say three months, and some say six. But wait, um, didn't they say that it's also? I read somewhere also that. Um, from Nisan to Tishrei is six months, too. Yes. And that's like the time period of when we would be redeemed, like in that six-month period. But whatever it was, yeah. <clears throat> in any case, so um, we are really in the midst of tremendous darkness. There's no question about that. Okay? So what are we supposed to be doing? What do you think we should be doing in our end right now? We have to be vigilant and with this knowledge to understand what is going to happen. You see, <clears throat> the knowledge gives you understanding to be vigilant because you're now looking at this world in a different, using a different pair of eyeglasses and then you, you will see what to do but at least you know what's going on so how do you how do you navigate through the emotions of it like like one at one minute you could be good and with the and then all of a sudden you find yourself slipping into confusion and then you build yourself back up again and then you slip into the confusion again like it's like a roller coaster ride well, it's not confusion because I've explained what it all means. Maybe it's emotional turmoil, but it's not yes, confusion. Yes, that's what I mean, emotional turmoil. Well, you have to say, Gamzulu Toiva, that the Rabbi is going to put a stop to it. And once he does, remember, it's not reversible and it's unstoppable. And that's it. It's over with. The world had, will finally have descended to the darkest period of time, and then you hear or there will be light. That's all. You just have to remember that the Bansham is completely, obviously, aware and is completely in control of everything, and that evil cannot completely dominate. It will be destroyed before it does. So in a certain sense, it's good news. The greater the corruption, right? And now we are looking at the greatest corruption of all. You know, the greater is the uh, proximity, closeness to the Mashiach. So in that sense, that's good news. You know? Don't worry. It'll be good. Because once it becomes the ore, you won't believe the darkness. The difference will be so astonishing that you won't believe how great it can become. You know? Look, there's a lot of good times ahead. A lot of incredible times ahead. So don't despair. Just hang in there and be a Maimon. Bateach.
that everything will be good. You know, because even in the end, the Jews left Egypt. No matter how bad it was before, in the end, they all left Egypt. You see, and not only did they leave Egypt, they all saw the death of the Egyptians by the Kriya Samsev. God not only took them away from evil, he destroyed evil. That's the real Geula, and that it can never overcome them again. That's the equivalent of the fourth stage where he destroys evil. So Tumor can never re-enter. And that eventually will happen. Like it says in after, I think a week ago, two weeks ago, what the Bansham says, <clears throat> you know, I will destroy the nations of the world that persecuted you, but you, I will make you suffer, right, for Mishpat, but I will not destroy you. That is a promise that these people will not get away with what they're doing. They will ultimately be destroyed because of what they're doing to the world. Now the Jews, it says, take a look, I think it's the Haftarah, it's either boy, I think it's boy, or, or uh, Boera. Look at the end of the Haftarah, Haftarah of last week's parasha or the week before. I think it's last week maybe. Look at the end where it says, the Mosham says, that I will destroy, I will make an end of all the nations that persecuted you, but you I will not, Isati, I will punish you, because that's justice, but I will not destroy you. And that is yeah, the that end. was last week. So it's last week. Take a look at that. Haftarah is an incredible Haftarah. You know what I'm saying? But the Bansham says exactly what he's going to do. You see? So what's there to worry about? In the end, he will do exactly that. He will punish all the nations of the world, not just because of the corruption that they're doing, but because, you know, because of the persecutions that they will do. You know, and there will be anti-Semitism, a rise in anti-Semitism again. It's already happening. It started around. Yeah. It started because now they're talking about a two-state solution again, you know, which is an incredible evil, you know, to deny the Jewish people a land. It's just an incredible evil. <clears throat> 